We are in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Um, so let me kind of give you a little bit of a preface here. We're going through the book of James, obviously, uh, and we're not totally sure how long that's going to take. But we're in college, so whatever, right? It's going to be fun. Um, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to relax and have a good time, and we're going to let the Word do the work. Um, we're super excited for it. And the way it works, just for those of you who maybe are not as familiar, uh, again, I think I met all of you, but my name is Ryan. I'm the youth and college pastor, and we're just going to walk through. Um, we're going to walk through the book of James a couple verses at a time. We'll read it, and then we'll talk about what it means. And we'll read it, and then we'll talk about what it means. Um, we're in James, bless you. We're in James chapter 1, you're welcome. Um, James chapter 1, last week we did verses 1 through 4, so we'll read that, and then tonight we're going to jump in with verse 5. So let's read 1 through 4. It may or may not be up here on the board. Yes, Lauren. Um, so here we go. We'll go James chapter 1, 1 through 4, and then we'll jump into the new stuff with verse 5, Okay. So James 1, 1 through 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So let's read verse 5 one more time, okay? Verse 5 one more time. But if any of you lacks wisdom, or maybe say if any of you needs wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, James combines this first paragraph on suffering, one through four, with this new paragraph on wisdom, and he connects them, and the hook that connects them is this word lacks or need. If you look at the end of verse four, it may even be up here. Um, can you get a four, Lauren? Let a perseverance finish your works, maybe mature and complete, not lacking in anything, not needing anything. Then look at verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, so you see it's the same thought process for James, this lacking or needing nothing in verse 4, then immediately in verse 5, if any of you lacks or needs wisdom. So you may want to circle and kind of just draw an arrow between those two words because it shows us that, um, it shows us that by the flow of the words, we can see that James is thinking the same thing here. He's trying to lead one thing right into the next, okay? So this is how you know it's the same process here. Suffering is still the theme in James's mind. But he's talking about wisdom here. So how does a paragraph about suffering now relate to a paragraph about wisdom? Well, what is wisdom exactly? That's a very bible Shakespeare word, right? Wisdom is more than knowledge, okay? It's more than just know-how. Wisdom is more than experience. One book of the Bible is all about wisdom, okay? And it's called Proverbs. Listen to what Tim Keller says about Proverbs, and think about wisdom here. Think about what is wisdom. You may want to circle that word wisdom in verse 5 of James, but it says, this is what he says, Proverbs does not talk nearly so much about how to make right decisions, it's more about becoming the kind of person who makes right decisions. Proverbs doesn't talk nearly so much about how to make the right decisions. It's more about becoming the kind of person 
who makes right decisions. You see the subtle difference there? Wisdom and becoming wise is not about making right decisions, though that's part of it. It's more about becoming the kind of person who makes right decisions. Does that make sense? It's not about improving your mind. It's more than knowledge. It's changing your heart. That's wisdom. Wisdom is not addition to you. Like, you're here, give me more wisdom, give me more wisdom. That's not what it means. Wisdom is not an addition to you. It's a change in you. Does that make sense? Wisdom is not an addition to you. It's a change in you. Wisdom is a heart change. So in verse 5 of James, when he says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it, he doesn't mean just a mental knowledge because wisdom's not rooted in your head. When you ask God for wisdom, you are asking God to work on your heart. Let's, let's see who, who we've got in here. And it's okay. Anyone know? It's all right. Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Greek. Okay. Does anyone know the Greek word for wisdom? Anyone want to take a swing? It is Sophia. That's what the name means. Okay? This word, Sophia, this word for wisdom, is used again in James chapter 3. So turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. And while you're turning there, let me, let me just drop a little. This one's for free on you, okay? If you need to know what the author of a book means by a certain word, what does he mean by love here? What does he mean by suffering? Or what does he mean by trials here? The first place to look is in the rest of the book. Because then you've got the same author. Does that make sense? Like Peter may say suffering and James may say suffering. And they may mean, you know, Peter may mean spiritual suffering and James may mean earthly. Does that make sense? To understand what James means when he says wisdom, let's look throughout the rest of the book. So that's a little Bible reading 101. James 3.13, right here. Who is wise, wisdom, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it, let them show their wisdom by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from, what's this last word? Wisdom. wisdom. Thank you, Devin. Comes from, here you go. If, is anyone among you wise, let him show it through his good deeds. Wisdom, listen, wisdom in James's mind, wisdom does not show itself in intelligence. It shows itself in integrity. Do you see that in 3.13? Who is wise and understanding? Let him show it by their bookshelf. Let him show it by their grades. Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. Wisdom in James's mind is not intelligence. It is, although that's certainly a part of it. We're not bashing that. But in James's mind, wisdom is integrity. It's not about how much you know. It's about what kind of person you are. So back to James 1.5. When you ask God for wisdom, he's not working on your mind so much as he's working on you. That's what he means when he says to ask him for wisdom. See, let's, let's make it practical. Wisdom is not about asking God which job you should take when you graduate, though you're welcome to do that. Wisdom is not so much asking God which job you should take. Wisdom is being the kind of person who trusts God no matter what job you take. You see the difference? Wisdom is not about God help me find the right person to marry. Wisdom is being the kind of person who glorifies God no matter who you're in a relationship with. 
You see the difference there? It's this consistency no matter what the circumstance. It's not so much about asking God to handpick your circumstances. It's asking God to work on you in your circumstances. That's wisdom. And James tells us to ask God for it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now, notice James doesn't say, ask God for help with these decisions. Although, again, that's what you should do. He's more concerned about you becoming the kind, you ask God for wisdom, then you make the decision. You see the difference? He is more concerned about you becoming the kind of person who glorifies God no matter what the decision, no matter where you end up. Because, and you'll see, and some of you already know this, but in so much of life, you don't get to make the decision. You know what I mean? In so much of life, it's good to ask God for help with decisions, but so many parts of life are going to be outside of your decisions' hands. You don't get a say in it. For example, you might pray for help in choosing a job, but you don't get, and God may bless that and help that, but you don't get to choose who your coworkers are and what your experience is like in that job. You may pray to help decide on a spouse, eh? but you don't get to decide on your in-laws. You follow me? (laughs) Or, or, Or what kind of upbringing your spouse has had that he or she now brings into your life in that marriage. Now what do you do? You pray for the decision, but now what do you do? It's only James is concerned that no matter what the options are, you will be the kind of person who chooses the path that glorifies God. You see that? No matter who the spouse is, no matter what the job is, praying for wisdom means not just help me with these decisions, but help me to be the person that glorifies you no matter what the outcome is of that decision. And, he, and who will help you do this? God will. Look at verse 5 again. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, and then he gives some adjectives here as to how he gives, who gives wisdom to all generously and without reproach it will be given to him this word generously you may want to circle here the word doesn't just mean generous in terms of abundance right he'll give and he won't stop giving it does mean that but it also means sincerity he won't just give it he will generously give it he will sincerely give it to you he wants to give you wisdom um, when I was like 13 and 14, not that any of this happened to you, but you know the age where you become too cool for your parents for a little while, where like your parents just become the worst? For, and it's good, it's good if that didn't happen to you. That's fine. That's fine. But for us sinners, okay, it's one of those where, for me, just for me, I'm just saying, and, and I'm just kidding. I'm seriously, I'm not knocking a good relationship. My parents and I get along really well now, okay? But at 13 and 14, like it was just, it just wasn't there. Like, like it didn't want to be around them. And it really like hurt my parents' feelings in a lot of ways. And then when I was like 13 or 14, I remember one day, like uh, I love basketball and we had a hoop in our driveway and I went to the living room and I told my dad, I was like, you want to come shoot some baskets with me? And you could see, he was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to go play basketball. That would be like, you could see like, there was no like begrudging, like, all right. He, he genuinely at the bottom of his heart, he delighted in playing bat. He wanted to go play basketball with me. And it's the same idea here in this word generous. 
God delights, he leans towards, he wants to give wisdom to you, which means he delights in and he wants to change your heart. He's not a begrudging, distant father. A lot of times in the Old Testament, um, it'll call God um, like a mother hen bringing, you know, Jesus says, I would have gathered you like a, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. And, and there's this debate as to, well, if God is our father, why do they use the analogy of, of, a, of a mother bird, right? Why, why would they do that? It's, it's an it's a, it's a example in, and a lot of, maybe some of us in here, you know, some fathers can be a bit distant, you know, can be a bit closed off in some ways. And by equating God to a mother in many ways, it's showing that God is a perfect father. He is a father who is close and tender and not begrudging or distant. He wants to help you. He gives generously. Listen, he gives sincerely to you. And then it says he gives without reproach, which means he gives without finding fault in you. He's not going to hold your lack of wisdom against you. He's not going to do that. He's eager to start working in your life and helping you. This is the kind of God we serve. And it helps us picture who God really is when we suffer. It's easy to think that God is, is just putting a magnifying glass on us and turning up the heat for no reason. But, but James says, no, no, this, is, this God is eager to get into life with you and to help you and to be with you and to be tender and genuine and sincere with you. So if he's allowed suffering to come in, if that God has allowed suffering to come into your life, there must be a reason for it, a good reason for it. John Calvin says it like this, the Lord does not require of us what is above our strength. So it's above your strength, you can't do it. The Lord does not require of us what is above our strength. Instead, he is ready to help us, provided we ask. So if we ask him, if we lack wisdom we ask the Lord, and he will eagerly jump in with us to help change us. So how do we ask him? Verse 6, how do we ask him? But, we must, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Remember, God gives generously. But this also means that God gives with a sincere heart, right? Generous means sincere. So in order for God to give with a sincere heart, we must do our best to ask with a sincere heart. Does that make sense? If he gives with a sincere heart, that connection is that we ask with a sincere heart. Turn in your Bibles, and we'll put it on the board too. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 Verses 21 and 22. And think about this idea of asking with a sincere heart. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 21, verses 21 to 22. And again, the point is praying. Remember, James is talking about asking in faith, asking in sincere, with a sincere heart. Here we go. And this is a famous verse that gets taken way out of context. And you'll see, but that's not the point. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith, remember James tells us, ask in faith without doubting. Look what he says. If you have faith and do not doubt, which shows us that the Bible builds off of itself. James is just quoting Jesus. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, verse 22, 
you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So the Bible's building, you may want to circle in 21 where it says, if you have faith and do not doubt, and maybe you write in the margin that that's James chapter 1, verse 6. That's the same. I mean, James is pulling from, from his half-brother Jesus, right? But then he's, and he says, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can do all these things. And then verse 22 of Matthew 21, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. The point here is not if you really want a swimming pool and you're asking God for it. If you really believe, that's not the point. Jesus is the whole point here. And notice what it says, if you have faith and do not doubt, then these things will happen. If you believe, then these things will happen. The point Jesus is making is that prayer asked from a heart that really needs it will have the ear of God. Prayer from a heart that... It's not about how do you believe more? What is that? Well, no, no, no. What does that mean? It's about this idea of if you... The point Jesus is making is that prayer asked from a heart that really needs God will have the ear of God, guaranteed. My wife and I are on a huge Harry Potter kick right now, okay? That, that just swing. I just lost some of you, and I just gained some of you, okay? <laughs> and that's okay, and that's okay, that's fine. Um, that's okay. Uh, we're on this huge kick right now, and we're, you know, we're, the movies were on, it was a marathon on sci-fi last weekend. It was awesome, and then, like, I'm reading some of it. She's the audiobook kind of gal. She's, we're all over it. There's this great quote in here, um, from Dumbledore, and he says this, listen, he says, help, and you don't have to understand what all this means, you just, just get the vibe of what I'm saying here, okay? <laughs> Listen to what he says, he says, help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. It will always be given to those who really need it. Jesus is talking about this kind of attitude in our hearts when he says, when you ask in faith, it will be done, without any doubt. When you believe, this will be done. A sincere desire to talk to God. God is saying, and this is so cool, anytime you really need me to listen, I guarantee you I will be there to listen to you with open ears, eager to jump into your life. He must ask in faith, in sincerity of heart. And without doubting. Go back to James 1.6, and we'll, we'll wrap it up in just a second here. Without doubting, okay? Look at 1.6. And when I, and I, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Doubt here means to argue with yourself. That's literally what it means in Greek. And, that, and you see, that makes sense. Like, you want to do this, but I don't know. You see, there's this pullback and this push. Doubt means to argue with yourself. You don't really believe what you're asking, or part of you does, right? Now, this doesn't mean, this does not mean that you have to ask perfectly every time or you won't get what you asked for, right? It doesn't mean that. You know that from your life. We will doubt on this side of eternity. But here's what it means. He who doubts is like the surf of the sea. The picture here is not this big wave, okay? But the area out the coast in the middle of the water that is stirred in whatever direction the wind happens to be blowing. The water is almost defenseless in terms, or rudderless. It just goes wherever the wind is blowing. There is no anchor that keeps it. It just gets pushed. It just goes wherever it gets pushed. Listen to this quote from this commentary that I'm using for James. Listen to what he says about doubting. Here we go. Pray without doubting. The doubter 
since he does not possess an anchor for their soul, that's huge, the doubter who does not possess an anchor, think about what an anchor does, it holds you, right? The doubter who does not possess an anchor for their soul does not pray to God with consistency or sincerity. Remember, sincerity? Instead, he prays to the shifting winds and motives of desire. He wants wisdom from God one day, and then wisdom from the world the next. Here's When we pray, when we doubt when we pray, we might pray asking for help with lust one time. And then the next day, we go looking for it on our phones. You see? Or when we doubt, we may ask God to give us gentleness and make us slow to speak because we're in a stressed out environment. But then the next day, we go back to work and we're looking for a fight. We don't in any way try to keep our mouth closed. Well, I thought you just prayed last night for help with this. But in no way are you trying to show that you really wanted that help. You see? We in no way try to show that we believed what we prayed the night before. It's not about doing it. It's not, it's not even about doing it. It's not even about doing it perfectly. But based on your actions, you have in no way shown that you really believe what you prayed the night before. I thought you wanted to be slow to speak. Why are you gunning looking for somebody? I thought you were trying to fight lust. Why are you trying to find places to go off and be by yourself? Hang on a second. I thought, and again, it's not about doing it. It's about the fact that you're not even showing that you want to go the opposite direction. You're praying with doubt. You see, you don't really sincerely believe what you're praying. The stress of the day just blew you right into anger. No anchor, you see? The boredom of the day just blew you right into lust. You just go where the wind of the day goes, you see? There's no anchor of faith in your soul. Faith, ask with faith. Faith is a willingness to be anchored in God so that the winds and waves of our circumstances don't carry us away. Faith is a willingness to be anchored in God so that the winds and waves of our circumstances don't carry us away. Praying with this sincere heart, I want this to happen, God. And then you take steps the next day. Maybe you fall and fail and you do get angry or you do fall into lust. But are you taking steps? And you know when you're actually taking steps versus when you're taking steps with my fingers, right, to check the box. You know the difference. Now, Remember, these two paragraphs, suffering and wisdom, are connected, right? So let's connect them, and then we'll be done. Remember, and if you want to turn there, you're welcome to. We'll put it on the board. Um, Psalm 126, verse 5. Psalm 126, verse 5. We talked about this last week, okay? And this is our kind of connector. Those who sow in tears, so sadness, you plant those seeds of sadness and suffering in your life, Those who sow in tears will reap, the harvest, will reap songs of joy. In suffering, when things go bad for us, if we run to God, don't plant your seeds of suffering into your phone. Don't plant your seeds of suffering into your TV or into the bitterness of your own heart, just trying to check out and forget. Run to God. Give Him this suffering And you will change. You will change 
if you go and give this suffering to God, if you truly, sincerely run to God in your suffering, listen, sincerely, consistently, when's the last time you prayed for something more than two days in a row, right? I mean, you just mean it that first night, and then the next night, you know, whatever, Thursday night, you just mean it. And then Friday night rolls around, friends are over, blah, 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 your mind's off it, you're done, you, you, and then Saturday, and then Sunday, and by Monday, you're on to the next. You see what I mean? If you really, really need something, it's this idea of extraordinary working through the ordinary. God doing extraordinary things in your life through ordinary 10-minute blocks of prayer once a day, right? This is what I'm doing now. I am terrible at prayer. I'm terrible at it. But I've started doing this thing where once I wake up, I literally, I look at the clock and I set 15 minutes and I just spend that time with God. And it doesn't sound like very much, but I've, I can't remember the last time I spent 15 straight minutes with God. You see what I'm saying? And it has been huge for me. And it's this consistent daily thing. If you really, if you want to pray without doubting, if you really need something, you're going to think about it all the time. You're going to want to go for it all the time. If you do this, if you consistently plant these seeds of suffering, these seeds of anxiety, these seeds of worry into God... You'll come out of your suffering a deeper, wiser person, less afraid, more confident in God's faithfulness, and more in love with Jesus. You know this. Suffering, when invested in the right way, can work an amazing gift in your heart. A field cannot be beautiful until the soil is just completely... Have you ever seen a field before it's planted? It's just a mess, right? It's a muddy, ripped-up mess. Suffering in our lives, right? This ripped-up, what are you doing, God? And then these seeds are planted, and this beautiful harvest comes. This harvest of wisdom comes. But sometimes he has to use suffering to do it. Let me give you one more quote, and we're out of here. Tim Keller says this. Now, he's talking about Proverbs, but think about wisdom. I'm just going to replace the word. Wisdom is like hard candy. If you bite down, if you just bite down on it, you might get a little out of it and maybe even get a broken tooth. Instead, you must meditate on it until the sweetness of the insight comes. Isn't that such a good analogy? Wisdom is like hard candy. If you bite down on it, you get a little out of it and maybe even a broken tooth. Instead, you must meditate on it until the sweetness comes. Wisdom is a chain is a process. Over time, as this suffering, and you continue to lean into God, asking God for wisdom. And in time, this asking, this leaning, if you like, think about it. If I just leaned over long enough, eventually your, the, my body position would change. It's the same thing in your heart. If you continually make the effort to practice leaning into the Lord, your nature will change. And you'll start to lean closer to him. And suffering sometimes is the thing we need to push us into God. There's wisdom in there. So link these two things together as you start to work through them in your life. The suffering of God, the suffering that he brings you, may just be the very thing God uses to push you into the wisdom that you so lack. Let's pray.